After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Let me 
There's an altar there With a heavenly fire burning That's why we're always yearning mm, There's a place in your heart Deep within Known as the Kodesh HaKodoshim There's an altar there With a heavenly fire burning That's why we're always yearning That's why we're all returning This fire takes you higher if you let it burn Inspire your desire to live and learn If you ignore it and don't absorb it, brother Yeah. 
There's a place in your heart deep within Known as the Kodesh HaKodoshim There's an altar there With a heavenly fire burning That's why we're always yearning That's why we're all returning So don't play with fire
חולון, ראשון לציון, קריית ארבע היא חברון, באר שבע שומרון. צ'ק 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 מייקרופון, מתיין ומירון, כפר סבא, רננה, עיר עתיקה, אשריך, שכם כנרת מודיעין, ימינה שמאלה.
J.M. in the A.M. at Yaakov Shweki here on a uh, Thursday morning broadcast. Live in Israel is the name of the album. That's the Hora medley here at uh, J.M. in the A.M. Uh, before that, Harachamon done by Shlemi Daskal. You heard Eighth Day with Kapayim. Itcha'ani, that was Avremo. Avremo also had Playing with Fire, both off of Bring the House Down. Lamelech, you heard Ohad and Regesh, of course, with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Thursday on this June the 29th, day five in the month of Tammuz. The year 5777, Tufshanai and Zion. Almost halfway through 2017. 68 degrees here in New York with 70% humidity. Wind southwest at 5 miles an hour. Partly cloudy and a high of 83 then tonight. Thunderstorms late with a low of 72. Tomorrow partly cloudy and a high in the 90s. We should hit at least 92 degrees. 
Yerushalayim at 85 up in Guilford, New York. Our friends at Camp Missouri enjoying a 56-degree morning with afternoon thunderstorms expected later. 68 right now here in uh, New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. I want to wish a mazel tov to the Futterman and the Newgarten families. Last night, Chaya Frida Futterman and uh, David Moshe Newgarten were married in Brooklyn, New York. was a, quite a celebration to say the least. And we wish both families, the Futtermans from uh, the Far Rockaway area and the uh, New Gardens from Yerushalayim, a very special Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Big Thursday, because every Thursday is a big Thursday here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Get ready for amazing programming all through the day. We'll take you until 9 o'clock and then start a, a wonderful lineup of great hosts and guests plus a live lunch between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., which is a don't-miss live lunch. Our live lunches are always don't-miss. So that's all coming up here at the JM and the AM and uh, the Nahum Siegel Network. I want to thank Mayor Weingarten. Mayor Weingarten sat in yesterday for me. I was up at Camp Missouri. where they're enjoying a spectacular first full day of camp today. A uh, big shout-out to Ari Katz and everybody up at Camp Missouri. The campus looks absolutely spectacular. Everyone seemed really happy and raring to go for a brand-new uh, 5777 summer season. Uh, so, again, greetings from all at Camp Missouri, and a big thank you to Mayor Weingarten, who sat in for me yesterday while I was away. It is much appreciated. JM in the AM Thursday morning with Gershon Varoba. Yeah. 
ירושלים
ברמז, אתה רישוי. וימז, אתה רואי. ומבעלותך אין לנו מלך גויה ומשיעה. אמס אתה ראשון, ואמס אתה אחרון. ומבעלותך אין לנו מלך גויה ומשיעה.
Thank <laughs> you. 
with Ari Goldwagon, Chaim Shol Shalom. Simcha Liner before that with Bunim. You heard MS from Nachas, Volume 2. Eli Schwebel had Shabbos Takes Me Home. Moshe Hech with Inspire Me. And Gershon Varoba had Im Eshkachech. 
Golly, it's on the background. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listen to sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSegal.com, on the NahumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. My thanks to Mayor Weingarten for taking over yesterday. Much appreciated, Mar Weingarten, sitting in between 6 and 9 a.m. Special regards to our audience from our friends up at Camp Misora, where they are enjoying today their very first day, very first full day of camp activities. Big shout-out to Camp Misora from all of us here at JM in the AM. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday. Follows next. We say Boker Tov from Jam in the AM. Galitzal, Shalash Time, Kanran Yevnei, Imashikore Achshav. בפרקליטות לומדים כעת את החלטת ועדת השחרורים לקצר את עונשו של ראש הממשלה לשעבר אהוד אולמרט ויחליטו עד אחרי הצהריים אם לערער עליה. אם לא יהיה שינוי, אולמרט ישוחרר מכלם העשייה וביום ראשון הקרוב. בתוך כך לגורמים במערכת הפוליטית מברכים על קיצור תקופת מעשרו. כתבתנו איליל שחר. שר האנרגיה יובל שטייניץ ברך את אולמרט ומשפחתו וציין שוועדת הערעורים פעלה ברגישות ובתבונה. השר זאב אלקין קרא לפרקליטות להניח לאולמרט. אולמרט שילם את חובו לחברה וכל אחד במקומו היה משוחרר מזמן. רצון הפרקליטות לעכב את השחרור נראה כמו רדיפה אישית. המשבר בהדסה, השר משה כחלון הצטרף כמגשר לצד השופט לשעבר אליקים רובינשטיין לסייע במאמצי התיווך בין הצדדים. כתבתנו טל זרביב. ההורים לילדים החולים ביקשו מרובינשטיין לצרף את שר האוצר כחלון להליך הגישור כדי להוכיח שאין מניעה כלכלית לפתיחת מחלקה המטו-אונקולוגית בבית החולים שערי צדק. בקשתם התקבלה והוא ייקח חלק בהליך הגישור. היום נמשכות שיחותיו של השופט הפורש המגשר רובינשטיין עם הצדדים כולם במטרה להגיע להסכמות. יושב ראש הכנסת יולי אדלשטיין נועד עם שר החוץ הרוסי סרגי לברוב. השניים דנו במעורבות של רוסיה במלחמה בסוריה ובמתיחות בין רוסיה לארצות הברית. שליחנו למוסקבה, עידו בן בג'י, שמע את אדלשטיין בתום הפגישה. האינטרס העליון שלנו זה הרגעת הרוחות, מגעים ביניהם, אולי הסדרים. מתיחות כזאת למדינת ישראל היא ודאי לא טובה. אתה יודע, כשמתאגרפים במשקל מאוד כבד, מתאגרפים לידינו, זה תמיד סכנה של לחטוף איזושהי מכה או איזשהו מרפק. בשורה לנהגים, מחיר ליטר דלק 95 אוקטן ירד בלילה שבין שבת לראשון ב-23 אגורות. כתבנו הכלכלי, תומר ורון. ירידת מחירי הדלקים בעולם תוריד במוצ"ש את מחיר ליטר דלק בכמעט 4%. מחירו המרבי של ליטר דלק יעמוד החל מיולי על 5 שקלים 76 אגורות, כאשר 67% ממחיר זה הם מיסים שיזרמו לקופת המדינה. פרסום ראשון יוזמה להקמת בניין חדש במזרח ירושלים המיועד לדיירים יהודים תידון בוועדה המחוזית בחודש הבא. כתבתנו מיכל צ'ין. הבניין יכיל עשר יחידות דיור בשכונת שייח' ג'ראח נחלת שמעון שמעבר לקו הירוק. הדירות מיועדות ליהודים והוועדה המחוזית צפויה לאשר אותן תוך מספר שבועות. רק בשבוע שעבר פורסמה הנחיה שמפשירה את כל תוכניות הבנייה בירושלים בעקבות הפרסום בגל"צ של המסמך שמקפיא את בנייתן בהוראת גורמים מדיניים. ניסיון תקיפת סייבר נרשם בלילה במספר בתי חולים בארץ, כתבנו מיכאל האוזר טוב. הרשות הלאומית להגנת הסייבר זיהתה במהלך הלילה כמה מחשבים בבתי חולים שנדבקו בווירוס האינטרנטי. המחשבים טופלו מיד על ידי אנשי אבטחת המידע של בתי החולים ביחד עם אנשי רשות הסייבר. לא נגרם נזק בשום שלב, וכעת מנסים להבין מה מקור התקיפה. והתחזית בסוף השבוע צפוי עומס חום כבד, ובראשון עוד עלייה בחום. אלה החדשות שעורכת משי ג'רסי.
בחסות חלצת שתילה. Thank you. 
years have fallen, many years we're calling, please, no more. Many broken hearted, friends lost and departed, please, no more. Now the time has come, everyone must stand together and be strong forevermore. Young and helpless children, illness and confusion, please, no more. Old and lonely people, hunger, war and evil, please, no more. Now the time has come, everyone has won forever, let his kingdom rise up. Enemies of freedom, hatred without reason, please, no more. Weapons of destruction, terror and corruption, please, no more. Oh, now the time has come. Return and stay this time forever. Let His glory shine
JM in the AM. It's Yaakov Shweki with Cry No More. That's his title track here at JM in the AM. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday morning. You know what Thursday means? It means an exciting day here at the Nahum Single Network. A lot of great programming. Go through the lineup a little later on. Uh, Moshav Band had come back here at Chizku, done by Mordechai Shapiro. Sandy Shmueli opened up the hour with Chazak. Off of the album by the very same name. Thursday morning with 68 degrees, partly cloudy, and a high of 83. My thanks to Mayor Weingarten for sitting in yesterday, taking care of our radio broadcast. Much appreciated, to say the least. Uh, you can hear him regularly Mondays at 9 a.m. right after JM in the AM with the Israel Show. Very popular program on our network. Mazel Tov going out to Chaya Frida Futterman and uh, David Moshe Newgarden. They were married last night in Brooklyn, New York. We had the uh, privilege of participating in the big simcha to the uh, New Garden and Futterman families. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. And a special Mazal Tov to Orly and Yassi Futterman on the uh, big simcha from yesterday. Mordechai Ben David's brand new. It's called Bowie Kala. You're listening to a Thursday morning edition of JM and the AM. Boy, Bisholoim, Ateres Barlo, Gamberino, Vitsolo, Toychemune, Amsegulo, Boy, Bicalo, Boy, Carlo, Boy, Bisholoim, Ateres Barlo, Gambesimho, Vitsolo, Toychemune, Amsegulo, Boy, Bicalo, Oh boy, 
בואי, כלות, אוי חמון הים, סגולה בואי, בואי, כלות, בואי, כלות. Let us be 
Eitan Katz <clears throat> here at the JM in the AM. Thursday morning broadcast, 68 degrees, partly cloudy and a high of 83. My name is Nahum Siegel. A big thank you to uh, Mayor Weingarten for sitting in yesterday. Much appreciated. Our friends at Achiezer are running a 24-hour $100,000 campaign where each donation is doubled for 24 hours only and... Um, the fund has zero overhead cost. It is an Achiezer Camp Fund initiative to help families send children to summer camp. Simple as that. Uh, go to Achiezer.org for information. Achiezer.org for information. A 24-hour campaign is um, giving everyone an opportunity to have their donation doubled. Take advantage, give generously, and help out. Also, I wanted to mention that... Um, now, according at least to NBC News, the iconic mitzvah bus that was found torched in Brooklyn earlier this week was, in fact, according to police, intentionally set on fire. Authorities Thursday morning released new details and surveillance footage in the hopes of catching the man who they say set it on fire. <clears throat> we were there on um, 
We were there on Tuesday at the press conference in front of the bus, Lave Schieber's uh, a bus that was set on fire in Crown Heights. And police now have surveillance camera footage of the person who set the fire at the corner of Troy and Maple in um, the Crown Heights, East New York area. Uh, if you go online, you will see it. All you got to do is search the story. And uh, obviously, the police are asking for any help whatsoever in case the uh, perpetrator is, in fact, recognized by anybody. Uh, alert police as soon as possible. So our our heart goes out to Lave. Our Lave goes out to Lave. And um, we are told that there are efforts to replace the bus. And once we get details, we'll be more than happy to pass them along to you right here at JM in the AM. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. This world is the Alma de Chakra. It is the world of falsehood. And Olam Abba, the next world, is the Olam HaEmes, the world of truth. We can understand how important it is always to say the truth. We are told in Ksubas that when Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was lying on his deathbed, the Malach HaMoves, the angel came to take him. And that Malach had been instructed by the heavenly court, do for that tzaddik whatever he wishes. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said to the Malach, he said to the angel, take me to the Garden of Eden, take me to Gan Eden, and show me my place there. The Malach had no choice. He said, fine. The Malach then lifted Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi up above the wall, and he showed him his place in Gan Eden. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi jumped from the wall and fell to the other side. However, the Malach held on to the corner of his cloak because it was not his time yet to go. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, I take an oath, I make a shvua, that I will not come back. There was a dilemma. The Malach wanted to bring Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi back. However, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi had already invoked an oath. He made a shvua. Hashem then resolved the dilemma. Hashem said, if Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi had ever taken an oath, and that oath was annulled in his lifetime, he has to return to earth. If not, he's allowed to stay right where he's at. He would be permitted to remain in Ganadin. It was found that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi had always kept his word. He always fulfilled his promises. At that moment, Elio Novi announced, Clear a place for the son of Levi. Clear a place for the son of Levi. This is how the Kojans of Magid explains, whoever has never desecrated his word and has never looked to be released from his promise, then according to all that comes from his mouth, shall he do. From heaven, they will do everything that the person requests. We see from this moving incident concerning the great Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi how important it is to keep one's word. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. Have a nice day.
זה השיר שלך, בתי האהובה. זה היום שלך, הגיעה השעה. הוא עומד, ניצב, מוכן שם לקראתך. בואי, 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 קלה. בואי, 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 קלה. זה השיר שלה, בתי האהובה. זה הקול שלה, הגיעה השעה. זה הקול שלך מתחת לחופה
From the uh, Sweet Home Jerusalem album, it's Menachem Herman with Hakola Tova. You heard Tfilat Av done by Ohad off of Echad Yachid, quarter before 8 o'clock. Good morning. It's Thursday at JM and the M. Full day, of course, as you could imagine, on our schedule here at the JM and the AM. Coming up at 9 o'clock. Um, yeah, coming up at 9 o'clock, it's going to be uh, Charlie Harari with Unlocking Greatness. Coming up at 9.30. It'll be Spin Class with Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder. Jew in the City Speaks. Allison speaks to Reva Judas and Ellen Kersher of um, Nechama Comfort, a Jewish not-for-profit dedicated to helping families 
who've experienced infant or pregnancy loss. That is coming up at the 10 o'clock, 10.30 for Miriam Wallach, and that's life. And, of course, at 11 o'clock, we'll do our Thursday live lunch until 1. And the late Yassi Pimenta is featured on Throwback Thursday. When you listen between 1 and 4 this afternoon, 1 and 4 Eastern time, the late Yassi Pimenta, a, um, a visit that he had to uh, JM in the AM years and years back. That'll be featured on Throwback Thursday right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Plenty more coming up. Don't forget the Achiezer Camp Fund initiative has begun. Go to achiezer.org to support it, achiezer.org, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. Uh, more coming up here is brand new Mordechai Ben David. Yeah. 
Thursday morning broadcast with Shalshelis Jr. Elokai is the name of that selection. David Lowy with Koamar. Hinei Amin, that's Mordechai and David, brand new off of the Tza'aka CD here at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Our listeners sponsor digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSingle.com, on the NahumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Mazal Tov to the Futterman and the Newgarten families. Chaya Frida Futterman, David Moshe, and Newgarten. They were married last night, Brooklyn, New York. Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. It was quite a celebration to say the least. And we say Mazal Tov. Well, it's the end of June. In fact, it's the final Thursday of June 2017. And that means that uh, next week it'll be the 4th of July. And the 4th of July, we know what it means for those who are uh, residents and citizens of the United States of America. But for us, the Jewish community, the 4th of July over the last 40 plus years has even extra significance. It was Sunday, the 4th of July, 1976, when the Entebbe raid took place. Those of you who are, uh, let's see, I guess under the age of 35 (laughs) Uh, um, or, or a variety of ages, actually. Um, I suggest you take the time to learn about the miraculous episode that we call uh, Operation Jonathan, Mivtsa uh, Yonatan, at one time known as Operation Thunderbolt, uh, when the Israeli uh, Israeli army went into Entebbe, Uganda, and saved hostages who were being held because they were Jewish at the old airport in Entebbe, Uganda. Rabbi Stephen Weil, who's, of course, Senior Managing Director at the OU, is also known, has quite a reputation for being a uh, an Entebbe expert, can tell us a lot about what happened 41 years ago next week. Rabbi Weil, welcome back to JM in the AM. It's an honor to be with you, Nachum. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. I remember when it happened... Do you remember? I remember when it happened in terms of the episode itself. Do you remember when you became obsessed, if that's a, uh, if that's the proper word, with the Entebbe rescue? Well, it, it shaped me as a Jew, as a kid. I, I remember the experience. You know, the whole Jewish world was frozen that week, and then on July Fourth, when the whole world was focused on America, when they announced the success of the raid and what it did for us as Jews, what it did for Jewish pride and what it did for us in terms of gratitude to Israel as a people. Because here it was, and that's Menachem Begin saying a speech in the Knesset on Monday morning the next day, that, you know, 40 years ago, I should say, he, he said actually 30 years ago, when selections were being made between Jews, remember he spoke about, he spoke about Dr. Mendigala and the German doctors, right. because who made the selections of Entebbe? Wilfred Burris and, and Brigitte Kuhlman. These were members of the infamous Bader Meinhof gang, who partnered with the PFLP. And they made the selection between the Israeli and Jewish passengers on one hand and others on the other. And he said, then there was no one, no one to save us. He said, now God gave us the ability for the first time in 2,200 years, God gave us a nation, an IDF where if any Jew in any place is persecuted, is humiliated, or is in a state of, of travail, God has given us the ability to protect ourselves. And he talked about the difference. You know, and, and it was very powerful coming from Bacon, because he had lost everyone in his family in right. the war. Right. Those who are not Jewish, uh, those who are not Israeli citizens, were released on day one at Entebbe? Actually on Wednesday. The, the, the hijacking took place on Sunday, 
And when Israel agreed for the first time in its history to negotiate with the PFLP, because at that point they didn't have a formidable military plan, what the, the Palestinians and Germans did was they released they're, they're, all the other passengers, and, and the ones they kept, there were 89 passengers that had Israeli passports, or, and there were four that were conspicuously looking Jews. So those 93 were kept, and to the credit of, uh, of David, his name was Barros, he was he's still alive at 92, he was the captain of the Air France flight. He insisted that he and every member of the crew, even though they were allowed to be released, they were going to stay with the Israeli and Jewish passengers. So 105 were kept, and on Wednesday of that week, everyone else was released. And that's really where the miracle began, because when Mossad interviewed all of these passengers as they came to Charles de Gaulle Airport, they were able to pick up certain pieces of information that enabled them to have the plan, what you referred to as Operation Yonatan. Uh, Rabbi Steve Weil is with us, and Tebby 41 years ago next week. Um, tell me, tell me something more about the Air France captain and crew deciding to stay now, now, now that I'm no longer a kid <laughs> and I am an adult, it, 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 it is even more of an overwhelming thought when you think of people ready to essentially sacrifice their lives for people that they did not know, just people they felt responsible for. Um, what can you tell us in addition regarding the decision by the Air France crew? He, uh, the, the, the captain at the time, I think he was 52, so as a young man, he actually fought you know, in World War II as a pilot against the Germans. And uh, he, he felt, look, first of all, he was trained, but secondly, you know, he understood what this was all about because he had fought against the Germans. He was married to a, a German woman who herself was one of these Germans that was abhorred at what they had done to the Jews during World War II. Hmm. Do you think... So he's, do you, a, a, he's a special man. In fact, uh, Yediel Tachronot, they call it Ynet News, last year for the 40th, they interviewed him and his wife. And uh, he's a very, very special person. He actually maintained a relationship with, with various members of the, uh, the IDF in the aftermath of this. And in fact, Bibi Netanyahu went to him to thank him for what he had done. Do you think that he got pushback from his crew regarding this decision? It's hard to know, because, and the reason I say that is, he claimed in the interview, which was a very noble thing of him, that this was something that the whole crew agreed to. Right. Whether it was or not, we don't really know the truth. Right, understood. Um, and Tebby, 41 years ago next week, or by Steve Weil is with us live via telephone. The um, the planning. Uh, say it again. I'm sorry. The hashkacha in this story is it, it's a miracle in, in, on five levels. I mean, just to give you a couple of examples. Sure. That you know, we call people a a pat rack. You know, they they never throw anything out. Right. When when Golden Meir already in the fifties was sending water engineers to the Black African countries to try to save them from starvation and famine. So Uganda was one of these countries they helped. And one of the people who was there was given it, as you mentioned, Nahum, it's the, it was the old terminal of Entebbe Airport, but it was the original airport. So it was an Israeli firm that was given the architectural blueprints to bid on this, to make a bid on the, 
on building it. They didn't get it. It was an Italian firm that built the airport. But he never threw anything out. And he had saved the architectural blueprints. So he brought them to the IDF. And on Wednesday, when the release passengers shared with them the description of the building, they realized that nothing had been changed from the original building. The entrances were the entrances. The stairwell to the second floor where the, where the Ugandan soldiers were being quartered was the same. The VIP lounge where the, the Palestinians were sleeping, that was all the same. So they, had, they could create a Hollywood blueprint and do a practice run on it so they would at least have intelligence and know how to attack the building. And that, that was one thing. The other thing was that, that every time Idi Amin had come to meet with the terrorists and to speak to the hostages, he came in a black stretch Mercedes limousine, followed by two Range Rovers of his elite soldiers. Well, they said, that's, that's the perfect surprise that we have. They went to the Department of Motor Vehicles in Israel looking for a black stretch Mercedes limousine. There wasn't one in the whole country. It turned out that there was an, uh, an Arab who lived in Jerusalem, in the east part of Jerusalem, who had an older model white stretch Mercedes limousine. So what are they going to do? They're going to come and tell them, you know, they're doing a raid? You know, they came with a story. You know, we've got a film crew, and we're making a movie, and it's costing the camera crew and the producers and the actors. We'll give you whatever you want. We'll need the car for a week. You know, we might tweak it a little bit, but we'll promise you we'll give it back to you. So he laughed at them. He says, this piece of junk, this Ashfar, you can have it. <laughs> what happened? They didn't know what he meant. They get the car. This, it didn't start, so they had to put in a first starter. They did the practice run Friday night. It didn't start. They had to do an alternator, a second starter. They had to bring in a Mercedes mechanic. You know, they had all kinds of Mercedes buses in Israel, but not limousines. They had to bring in a mechanic, then they had to quarantine him on the base because now he knew what it was. Right. It, was it was hysterical. They painted it black. They put on the Ugandan flag, and that was part of it. Unbelievable. I mean, there, there's like three others. There was a whole group of, of Air Force guys, a guy by the name of Shuki Shami, he's still alive. He still has a very high position in the Israeli Air Force today. At the time, he was a child of survivors, a guy maybe 25 years old. They had just come back from Georgia. Martin Marietta, they, they, they produced this thing called the Hercules C-130, you know, the big cargo transport mm, plane. Right. They learned to fly these things. Well, the, it was the first time Israel had ever acquired something like that. They actually had a vehicle now of how to, how to transport medical crews, jeeps, troops, etc. So they had the ability of something that had enough fuel to get them there. The problem was is... They could get there flying under radar. They didn't have enough fuel to get back. Right. So they had connections with the Kenyans, and they called up. There were two members of the government they felt in Kenya that they could talk privately to. And the Kenyans hated the Ugandans. Idi Amin had tried to you know, foment revolution in that country. And they said to them, they said, look, the, the negotiations are going nowhere. The Palestinians, you know, we will not release any Palestinians from our prisons who have Jewish blood on their hands, who have killed innocents. And the Palestinians have said to us, you don't dictate policies. We tell you who to release, not who to release. And it's going nowhere. And we may have to do a military raid. But the only way we can do this is if we can refuel. Well, Nairobi is literally, you know, by air is, is minutes. It's a few minutes from, from Kampala, Uganda, where Entebbe was. So that... They asked them, and they, the Kenyans said, we've got to think about this. We'll get back to you. 
So hours later, this is Thursday, they called them back, and they said the following. Two conditions. Number one, you never called us. You never asked us. You'll have your LL people come and say there's a flight coming from South Africa that's got mechanical problems, and then we're going to tell the world, what could we do? You know, it turned out it wasn't an LL flight. They said, fine, we, we can agree to that. Second condition, Idi Amin's got 11 Russian MiGs sitting there in Entebbe Airport. Right. In two minutes, those 11, those 11 Russian MiGs, they'll destroy our capital city. We're through. We have no way of defending ourselves because the world might believe us, but Idi Amin never will. And we can't, we can't tolerate an attack from Idi Amin. You've got to take out the Russian MiGs. So now this turned into a military operation. And in fact, Shaul Mofaz, who at the time, like everyone else's name, was something that no one knew because this was all top secret. His job, and they had to bring these, these Humvees with RPGs attached to them, their job was to destroy the, the uh, Ugandan Air Force. So what, is, what choice did Israel have? And, and at that point, the man who was supposed to run the operation, Ehud Barak, who was the head of Sayeret Matal, Ehud Barak was taken off the, the mission on Thursday, sent to Kenya because of his relations with the Kenyans, and they called up Yoni Netanyahu, who was, he was down in the Negev working with soldiers, and he was put onto the job on Thursday. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to go on for too long, but there's, there's like literally five or six of these phenomena that all added up at the right time. The MiGs were destroyed before, during, or after the, uh, the actual rescue? After the, the hostages were taken off. From, from touchdown to takeoff in terms of the hostages, the goal, the plan was 60 minutes. It was 51 minutes. And the longest period of the 51 minutes was trying to get a count because right. people were traumatized and in shock. Right. And after that first plane took off, one of the latter groups of soldiers, which Shaul Mofaz was in charge of, they took out the Russian MiGs, and they were the last to take off from the airport. And Yoni Netanyahu's uh, uh, death is uh, considered, I don't know, a fluke, an accident, uh, just exception in terms of the way the operation was going. Are those terms correct in describing the way he was taken out? So I'll tell you, there's, there's more than one account to it. I'm going to tell you the account, and I interviewed many people for this. This was the account that I understood to be the correct one. And, and I, can't, I can't guarantee this. I can't promise this. On Friday night, when they did a practice run, it was an absolute debacle. The security cabinet, who still did not approve the, the plan until they were way into the air, until Shabbos afternoon, they said the definition of whether this is a success or not, the litmus test, is 25 dead, meaning between the hostages and the soldiers, if less than 25 are killed, this will be considered a success. If it's 25 or more, that was their, their red line. Right. Well, they did a practice run on Friday night, and it was an absolute debacle. Not only did the car not start, there was no element of surprise. So when the soldiers were put to sleep, you know, said, get some sleep, we may be taking off tomorrow morning. Yoni Netanyahu and the squad commanders stayed up till 3.34 in the morning, and they redid the plan. Now, part of redoing the plan was, they knew that it was glass windows. They had to have somebody sitting on the tarmac, which was Yoni running the operation. Right. He's a dead duck. Put, putting yourself out on the tarmac, your target practice for anybody in the tower. He knew he was setting himself up 
exposing himself. But he, you had to have someone who could see the one group that was going into the east entrance, which is where there were always two terrorists, you know, waiting at the east entrance, guarding the building. And there are always two terrorists on the west entrance, on the other side of the building. But you needed someone who's, who's commanding operations who can see all the different squads going into their specific locations, commanding and letting them know what's happening, where fire's coming from. So he set himself up in a way where he was exposed as opposed to the rest of them that would have the camouflage of the building. Right. He gave his life knowing this. This was one of the tweaks that was made in the plan. You, you talk about Messiris Nefesh. He gave his life for the Jewish nation. Unbelievable. And he knew he was doing it as well. Yeah. He knew he was exposing himself to, 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 to a sniper fire. But, but they, they felt that that was crucial. He felt it was crucial to make the operation run. Unbelievable. Mivtsa uh, Yonatan, Operation Jonathan, which until uh, the... Uh, and until the death of Yoni Netanyahu was known as Operation Thunderbolt. Um, the 4th of July, 1976, an amazing miracle with co- so many coincidences, quote-unquote, as Rabbi Weil has described. Uh, do, do you sometimes think what would happen if a hostage situation like that happened today, if, if the identical circumstances were being played out in 2017 as opposed to 41 years ago? It's a great question, and I'm going to say something now that's totally speculative. In the aftermath of Mitzah Yonatan, as you referred to it, Nakum, right. the French, the Germans, and remember the debacle of Munich that cost us 11 innocent lives, right. the Americans, all of them, in the aftermath of, of July 4, 1976, they created these elite military units, what we would call anti-terror units. In other words, Sayeret Makal, that today everybody knows. At that time, Sayeret Makal was classified. No one knew the name Ehud Barak, Yoni Netanyahu, Shaul Mufaz. No one knew any of these names. It's all classified. But the concept of Sayeret Makal, that was duplicated by all major Western nations. And in fact, uh, you know, the, the famous quote, when Yitzhak Rabin, who was prime minister at the time, at 5 a.m. Israel time, which was 10 p.m. Saturday night in America, he called up President Gerald R. Ford, and he said, you know, Mr. President, I understand you've, you've probably heard of the, there's rumors going on because the BBC was already reporting something at that point. And he said, I apologize, this was something that was top secret I want to share with you. They're not home. They're, they're in international water, so we think they're going to be okay. We have very positive reports. This is what happened. I'll fill you in when we know everything. And he, there's like a, a silent pause. And President Ford responded to Yitzhak Rabin, who was very nervous about this because America was a good friend and they hadn't shared anything with them. And he said to the, to the Prime Minister, Mr. Prime Minister, I want to thank you for giving the United States of America the greatest birthday present we could have ever asked for. Hmm. Now remember, the whole world, Queen England herself, who we revolted from, the whole Western world was there in the United States to celebrate with President Ford in America, the 200th birthday, the bicentennial. Right. What did he mean by that statement? The last, they felt that the last country who'd stood up to terrorism, Israel, now had capitulated. In fact, 
on Wednesday afternoon, in those days the New York Post had an afternoon paper, right. Wednesday afternoon's paper came out and said in big, bold black letters, like only the New York Post can do, Israel surrenders. Israel surrenders. Why? Because it was the last country that now had buckled and capitulated to terrorism. Right. And what Ford was saying to Robin is, thank God someone is willing to stand up. Now the the, the skies of the world, human citizens have the ability to, the, the terrorists don't control the airways. They don't control the skies. Someone who stood up for them. And, and, and in the aftermath of that, America, Germany, France, all of these countries, they basically duplicated the concept of Sayeret Matkal. That's why I think today, to a certain degree, we're actually in, in a better place because countries are prepared for this kind of a thing. Hmm, interesting. Plus, of course, the whole, and I'm not saying this to be funny, the whole social media aspect of it would certainly lend itself to be a much different type of situation today than it was 41 years ago. Uh, that we could analyze for hours, frankly, in terms of uh, how, how the instantaneous communication uh, you know, would, would make it a much different story. Uh, Rabbi Wild, greatly appreciated. Remembering Entebbe is a very important thing for us, for our community, and certainly for our children. 41 years ago next week, 4th of July, 1976, the rescue at Entebbe, which will uh, be, which will leave its mark for a long, long time on the Jewish world and really the world in general. Rabbi Stephen Wiles, of course, the uh, senior managing director at the OU. Thank you so much for the time and for helping us remember on this Thursday morning. It's always a privilege and an honor, and thank you for everything you do for the community. Now, I greatly appreciate that. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Over 
רבי האילמת, הרכין עז ראש, על אשר יושחר לא שב. אל ארץ היא, אל פש שדותיה, אל הכרמל והמדבר, אל עם אשר לא יחשה, שאת בניו לא יפקיר לשר, אל ארץ ודמעותיה נושרות על שדה חמניות שאיצפונה וססונה הם שתיבה ערב בבגד J.M. in the A.M. Thursday morning, Eretz Svi, the song, of course, most closely associated, to say the least, <laughs> with the uh, Operation Yonatan, the Radon and Tebi, most closely associated because it's a song about that incredible day and that incredible episode, a miraculous one. Thursday morning, 26 minutes after 8 o'clock. Good morning, all. My thanks, Rabbi Weil, for helping us remember what happened 41 years ago next week. Pretty amazing. More coming up. It is a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM with Lenny Solomon. Thank you. 
Now don't forget Up is the way 
J.M. in the A.M. with Avramel. That's Avram Freed. Lenny Solomon Hod Bahadar off of Simchat Chaim before that. J.M. in the A.M. There's a book out. It's entitled From This World to the Next. Amazing true stories about Jewish burial and the afterlife. It's edited by uh, Rosalie Saltzman and Robin Meyerson. And from what I am told, it is a um, it's an important book for a, ver- a variety of reasons, including making the community, our community worldwide, and specifically in the United States, aware of some of the things that happen once someone passes from this world. Uh, to help us address all of this, Robin Meyerson is with us live via telephone. She's one of the editors of From This World to the Next. Robin, good morning to you. Good morning. And Rabbi Alchanan Zone, who has been a guest of ours before and serves as president of the National Association of Hever Kadisha. He is with us. Live via telephone or by zone, an honor to have you back on the air. Good morning and welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning and thank you, Malcolm. Always a pleasure, much appreciated. I appreciate that. Robin, tell us about the book. Why was it written and uh, what will we learn from it? Well, 50% of Americans are choosing cremation, and we estimate about 40% of Jews are choosing cremation. So we, we wrote the book to share with, make it a tool for people so that they could give it out to people, and talk, have a conversation about the next world. It's easy to do, and it's easy to read. And we wanted people to know that this is something that's happening, in, in it's affecting all Jews all over the, the country. And it's we'll, not just, go ahead. We'll talk with Arizona in a moment about the statistics and the practicalities, but what does it mean, amazing true stories about Jewish burial? I mean, what, 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 what can be amazing uh, about that stage of life? So we have collected stories from people all over the world of where they've had um, dreams about people from the next world or they've had miracles happen on yard sites, um, babies that have been born um, on the exact yard sites of situations where they've intervened and stopped the cremation and instead convinced the family to have a burial. So we collected these stories to show the readers that there is another world, it is real, and, um, and and to have that conversation with people, to have it as a starter. Uh, and what, we've had... Go ahead. We've had over 700 requests so far for the book from all over the place. Um, people wanting to give out multiple copies to people, and it's free. It's actually free for people who want to share it with... Um, with in their shul or in their, in their cure of organization. And then it, it is also for sale, but... Um, the, how, the sale how long, how long, indigent burial. How long has it been out there? It's only been out for a few months. And uh, how do people get it? They can get it on the NASC website at uh, www.nasdk.org. 
from this world to the next. It's called Amazing True Stories About Jewish Burial and the Afterlife. Check it out. Uh, it is uh, edited by Rosalie Saltzman, and one of our guests, Robin Meyerson, is with us live via telephone. All right, Rabbi, Rabbi Zone, uh, Robin used the expression, I should say the statistic rather, Robin used the statistic that it's around 40% of our Jewish community nationwide is opting for cremation as opposed to a proper burial or any type of burial. Uh, first of all, is that accurate? I believe that's accurate. Uh, I think in the New York area, it's much lower than that. Uh, there have been uh, articles written that questioned that statistic, and it was based on the fact that funeral directors who are involved in the Jewish funeral industry will say they don't see those numbers, but that's because, uh, first of all, those uh, people are in the north, uh, northeast where the numbers are much lower. Secondly, uh, the people who are choosing cremation are more often than not not going to Jewish funeral homes at all. They're just uh, looking uh, out there and uh, doing the shopping, and you can get a cremation for $599 if you know where to look. Um, so they're not really getting a clear statistic. In the New York area, we estimate about 20%, maybe a little more than that, 25%. When you go out west or you go south, uh, it's as much as 70% in parts of California and Arizona, in Florida and uh, Texas, our estimate is about 50%. So altogether, I think 40% is a fairly uh, accurate number. And cost and, excuse the expression, efficiency are the primary reasons for it? Ecology uh, is another, um, which is really a myth because there's a tremendous amount of carbon that's put into the air when you do this. There's mercury. There's all kinds of other things. Uh, but, yes, we just actually did a little brochure called uh, Jewish Burial Equals Green Burial. Uh, because Jewish people do not get embalmed, and there's no formaldehyde that's put into the ground. We don't get buried in metal caskets, um, and we get buried in caskets made of the cheapest wood. There's no real loss in, 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 in that. And, of course, in Israel we have burial, and even in some places here, without caskets at all. Uh, so Jewish burial is really green burial, but ecology is a big thing. Um, there is also uh, efficiency. We live in a world where people are very mobile and people don't want to burden children. People want to be able to have uh, urns among all their children. There, there's a lot going on out there culturally. It's, it's the thing right now. It's the progressive thing to do. Uh, it makes sense financially, and, and that's what's really driving this. And unfortunately, our own people um, are not knowledgeable about the importance of what it means, not just from a religious perspective. But first of all, our, our own people, most of them who are not uh, traditional, do not have a yeshiva background, don't even know that Jews believe in an afterlife. Somehow an afterlife sounds like a Christian thing. Certainly a Trias HaMesim resurrection is something that they don't believe we believe in. And if you believe in Trias HaMesim, the natural thing to do is to get buried so that you return from the earth in which you were placed. Okay, so this is, uh, this is what's driving this. And uh, this book, we hope, will have a very serious impact in helping Jews understand that, yes, we believe in an afterlife, and yes, it's important. But there are a lot of other reasons besides religious reasons right. why family uh, closure, family identity, family continuity, respect for ourselves uh, as the container of an neshama, again, belief in a, in a soul. Uh, if we're the containers of an neshama, of something that special, we should be given respect, just as you wouldn't burn a an ark after the Torah was removed, we wouldn't burn a body uh, after the neshama was removed. Rabbi Elchanan Zone is with us. Um, the 40% or whatever, you know, it, the, the actual statistic is near that, um, 
it's likely the highest in American Jewish history, right, for the reasons you described. Absolutely. Until about, uh, I'd say, 25 or 30 years ago, cremation was something only in the very, very progressive liberal community. Uh, Jews uh, never cremated. It was it was kind of a taboo. Right. So, so, gonna, now, so now we're back at the stage where we have to educate people why it's so important to have a proper Jewish burial. Absolutely. As someone who chose uh, cremation said to me, they Googled it, and they didn't find in the Torah any prohibition that says, do not cremate. Right. Of course, they overlooked the fact that it says you should bury, and that burial means in the ground, and the return uh, from dust you are, and the dust you shall return. But uh, that was over- overseen. And many people don't realize uh, how significant this is uh, from so many different uh, perspectives of our faith. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as people are less and less educated, unfortunately, as you described earlier in our community, uh, this argument is going to have to be made. You, you just started for us the, the argument for proper burial with the sources, which is, you know, very well understood. But often that's not enough for people. If we have people listening right now who have made this decision uh, to go for cremation or ha- or know of family members who have already made this decision. Is-, is there anything else or anything more you can say in this public forum that might get them to reconsider? Well, I think it's uh, important for their family for closure. I think it's also important that they could visit our, our, our website, which is uh, peacefulreturn.org. Uh, www.peacefulreturn.org, one word, which has a lot of information. Uh, it also, they could visit us at nasc.org, uh, which Robin mentioned before. And I think it's very important to get the word out to our people who are knowledgeable, that if they know of people who are choosing cremation, this is really the mace mitzvah of today. The uh, When we look to bury someone who is going to be cremated or convince them, the time is not after they've died and the cremation is scheduled. The time is to have an open discussion, which is why this book is so important, because it gives us an opportunity. But the opportunities are there in many different ways. If we're a rabbi or anyone at a funeral or at a shiva house, why not take a minute to speak about how fortunate this person was to have had the beauty and the respect and the meaning of a traditional Jewish burial uh, for whatever reason they choose, whether it's because it's better ecologically or better it's good, better for family, what it means to be part of a family plot. This is the history of the family. We're not just something to be dispersed on the uh, Atlantic or, or Pacific Ocean, which many people do. Um, and this is uh, something that's extremely uh, opportune time to do. Uh, also, if someone like Joan Rivers passes away and gets cremated, hey, there's an opportunity to discuss this. Uh, say, why would a woman like that ever want to be cremated? Cremation was something we never did. Uh, so there are a lot of opportunities, and we really have a need to reach out to those people around us in a very nice way, in a sensitive way, to open the conversation. And uh, if they need arguments that can be made, we will be happy to help them in any which way. They can contact us through those websites or our number, which is 718-847-6280. And we will be very, very happy to offer them resources, brochures, and all kinds of other ideas that they can work with. All right. Um, the uh, the websites that we're recommending, uh, PeacefulReturn.com, PeacefulReturn.com, NASC, N-A-S-C-K.org. That's N A S ck.org and again the phone number is 
1-800-273-8080. The book is called From This World to the Next, Amazing True Stories about Jewish Burial and the Afterlife. Robin Meyerson is one of the editors. Robin, after listening to Rabbi Zone's presentation, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, that might help people uh, consider proper Jewish burial? Yeah, I'd just like to say that, you know, this is something that we all can do. You don't necessarily have to be a rav or a doctor or a chaplain. We just have to speak from the heart and, and ask people to put this in writing. It's absolutely cr- critical to put it in writing what their wishes are, and, and, and that's something that we can all do. We can all have that conversation and to use this book as a starting point. No question about it. All right, um, peacefulreturn.com, nask, N-A-S-C-K.org. 718-847-6280. The book is called From This World to the Next. Uh, Robin Meyerson, I thank you. Rabbi Zone, I thank you. And continue your amazing work in this area. Thank you very much for having us. Have a very good day. Plenty more coming up. It's Thursday, and this is JM in the AM.
שמא ונשימה תהלל
JM in the AM. Mordechai ben David. Call on Shama. Good tune. That is a good tune. Call Akal Chavim before that with um, A.B. Rottenberg's song entitled Mode. That was the song done so beautifully by Ohad Sunday night at the Lefkowitz Nova Cellar wedding to open up the chuppah. Unbelievable selection by A.B. Rottenberg. JM and the AM, it's Thursday. Don't forget, today's the last day of the uh, Abels and Hyman contest. Go to the uh, A&H Abels and Hyman page on Facebook, the Backyard Barbecue Giveaway, where you pick your prize. You can enter every single day, and today's actually the last day to do it, June the 29th. Take a look at the Abels and Hyman uh, Facebook page, and you will see exactly what I mean. That's for sure. Um... I remind you, the Achiezer 24-hour camp campaign is on. Go to achiezer.org for information on that. We have a full day of incredible uh, programming on our network coming up right at, right now at 9 o'clock. It's Charlie Harari, Unlocking Greatness, the name of the program. Spin Class, Michael Fragan, Phil Goldfeder comes up at 9.30. Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs at 10 o'clock. 10.30 for That's Life with Mary Mel Wallach. Live lunch, 11 until 1 o'clock. Throwback Thursday, 1 until 4. Lots going on, to say the least. Tomorrow morning, it's the weekly update. Malcolm Honline joins me at about 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update tomorrow morning right here at JM in the AM. Achena Yisrael and Achena Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And I thank you all for tuning in. My thanks to Mayor Weingarten for sitting in yesterday. Great being back today. Tomorrow we wrap up the week together. Malcolm Holmline in the weekly update at 7.40 Eastern Time right here at JM in the AM. Have a fabulous Thursday. Until tomorrow, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.